2: All right. Welcome to the Reasonable Doubt podcast. My name is Rob
3: Rosen. I am the creator and executive producer of Reasonable Doubt. And my name is Detective Chris Anderson. I'm a retired homicide investigator and the investigator on Reasonable Doubt.
1: I'm attorney Fatima Silva, co-host of Reasonable Doubt.
3: All right. So every
2: episode, we are going to do a podcast and give you the real behind-the-scenes updates. On what went into the investigation Chris and Fatima are going to give you All sorts of uh, little tidbits That maybe we didn't have time to get on the show And we're going to try to update the cases And let you know what's gone on since we were filming So this first episode Is about the Ken Middleton case And uh, just to get you up to speed If you haven't seen the episode yet uh, Here's a little bit about the case
3: February 12th, 1990 1.51pm 45-year-old truck driver Ken Middleton Calls nine one one. He's panicked. When police get to Ken's house, his wife Kathy is dead, the victim of a gunshot above her eye. Ken's account of what happened is bizarre. He tells police he was polishing a gun when Kathy came home and grabbed it. He says he stood up quickly, passed out, and when he woke up, she was dead. Police don't buy a story.
1: 1991. Ken Middleton stands trial for the murder of his wife. Most of the physical evidence is inconclusive, but the jury convicts anyway. He is sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. 2004, Ken is offered a chance at freedom. All he has to do is admit that the state has enough evidence to get a conviction. Ken refuses and remains in prison. Now in his mid-70s, Ken Middleton is still behind bars. Still fighting to clear his name, but time is running out. All
2: right. So, guys, when you first found out we were going to do this case, honestly,
3: what was the first reaction? Well, for, for me, reading over the case file, I had uh, some serious hopes for this case. Just reading over, you know, when I'm, when I'm teaching, I always tell my kids, you know, cases are won and lost on the crime scene. And after reading what happened on the crime scene, I'm like, i I'm kind of I'm kind of floored about the uh, about the entire case because if, if the foundation is not there, then the whole case should crumble.
1: You know, that the story just seems so strange and unbelievable. But at the same time, unbelievable doesn't mean impossible. So as we started to dig into all the facts of what happened in the investigation, I definitely understood why this was a case that was brought to us to look at again. And it, it was really interesting.
2: So so let's talk about the crime scene, because, Chris, you just brought that up. Um, I think in all the cases we've done, there's never really been anything quite this egregious. Uh,
3: I mean, what was your reaction as an investigator? You, you know, when... When you investigate cases the way that I do, I base everything around the science of it and uh, what we see there and how that matches up with the what the, the defendant in the case says. So, yeah, yeah, I just had problems with the, uh, with the crime scene itself. And then when you have problems there, you know, it, there are not many cases that go forward.
2: So, I mean, Fatima, when you spoke to the former FBI agent, um, I could tell that as a defense attorney, uh, you were getting a little bit outraged about what went on.
1: Yeah. I mean, this happens almost with every case we get. I just, I I always want and wish that we could have had this case at the very onset, right? Like the moment before trial, that's always what, you know, I tend to look at is, gosh, what would I have done at that trial level? And a lot of cases we get people pay for a a private attorney or they have a public defender and they get a great defense. Um, But then there's cases like this one where you look at it and you're just like, man, if only I had the chance to actually defend this person, then would he be here right now? And for me, that issue was just the investigation was a joke. I felt like it. it, it, if that's a reflection at all of our system, then it's a joke. I mean, this man had no chance at the very beginning to even have a fair trial when all the evidence against him is basically fraudulent. And so that was really disturbing for me, one, that, that this even happened to this poor guy, but two, that now we're at the phase where we have to actually evaluate his case based on that. It seemed unfair, um, and, you know, we know that this isn't how every police department actually conducts an investigation, and it it's one of those cities where, hey, when there's one murder in 10 years or many years, this is what you see, and it's really disturbing But I think the thing for me is just as we're going the whole week and Chris knows this, I just constantly say, man, I just wish we could go back in time because now we're at a, the burden is shifted and you know, the evidence that we need is um, it's way more than what was needed at the trial level. This is a case for me that at the trial level, had he had the proper defense, I feel like he definitely would have had a fighting chance. Guilt or innocence doesn't matter. But as a defense attorney, poking holes at all the mistakes that were made, I think there wasn't much at all um, but to have doubt. The problem is there was no defense brought up. There wasn't even an expert to counter their expert. And when that happens, you, you really are out of luck.
2: Now, now, Chris, I know you train officers a lot. You spend a lot of time, you know, and you're very passionate about good police work. I mean, some of this stuff, and I'm just a layman, but I mean, some of this stuff seemed really, I mean, have you ever heard of someone who, uh, a case where a body was stripped at the crime scene or where they reconstructed the crime scene the day after because the photographer left the lens cap on? Or, I mean, was this stuff that you've ever seen before?
3: I've never, I've never seen a case this bad. When Once you look at everything, I've never seen a case this bad. This bad. This poorly investigated. First off, you never want to want to strip a person's body because now and and, and you know I, I have to I have to preface this by saying that this happened in the early nineties, and there there have been great there have been a a, a lot of uh, of advancements in the collection of evidence since during that eighties and nineties time. Uh, but I can't remember a case of me ever seeing. a uh, A person stripped on a crime scene that just does not happen it it shouldn't happen because now we know that there's so much trace evidence that's lost or either destroyed by just doing that and then the other thing is you base this case around the science of the trajectory of the bullet and uh when we find out once we go back through the case we find out that that science has been Manipulated when you go back and have to recreate the, the 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 whole crime scene, so it's just bad. I mean, the evidence collection was bad, and and then you know, as a as an investigator, you you got to s- sit back and think, well, what else is bad? What else happened in this case? So it makes you question everything if you start questioning things at the beginning, at the very beginning,
1: and then so, you continue to see that things do get worse. Right there, right. there's a, a paper that's whited out. Mm -hmm. um, where it says that her right hand was tested. And it's, I mean, it's pretty obvious that maybe left hand was written on there, but somebody put white out over it. That's that in and of itself, that's questionable. That's not a reliable piece of evidence. So I I think it just, you know, it was a downward spiral from the moment they arrived. Um, and, and this wasn't aired, but I, I mean, it, from what I can recall, somebody even touched the weapon and moved that around and opened the gun. And before it was even tested, and there, you know, there were a lot of issues with that, but just things that you don't normally see uh, when, you know, a crime scene is being investigated. The photos are crucial for where everything is placed. Like you said, trajectory, everything is based on those photos. So now you're just gonna go back and recreate a scene. Now we're basing it on that recreation. What if it's inaccurate? And we know it was inaccurate. Why? Because they couldn't do anything right at this crime
2: scene. Mm-hmm. So, so the other thing that I think hit all of us when we were out there is that, um, and Fatima, especially you, is that there really, I mean, to say that there wasn't a vigorous defense would be a pretty dramatic understatement. So, you know, for me as a producer, we had never tried this before, but Fatima, you had suggested we do a mock trial and talk a little bit about how you feel that went out and what, and, and what that might have proved if Ken had had a good defense the first time around.
1: Oh, yeah, that was, first of all, those two attorneys did a great job on this case. And we did that. So, you know, Cliff could see uh, this. We agree. Your, your father was definitely wronged. He needed a uh, proper defense at the beginning. And what's incredibly disturbing, not that this kind of defense is even acceptable with a public defender, but this was a privately paid attorney who apparently had a lot on his plate or who knows what, but didn't, present any kind of evidence. Now we're talking about, you don't want to call witnesses, uh, you know, as to his character, fine. Sometimes that's in one ear out the other anyway, with the jury, because people can be biased, but they have an expert that's going to get on the stand and he's going to testify as to the trajectory of the bullet. And that there's no way this could have been a suicide or an accident. And you have no expert to rebut their expert. That's the nail in the coffin because you can have battle of the experts and leave it to a jury to decide. And one can say one thing and the other could say the exact opposite. But that's still a fighting chance for your client. And here we didn't have anyone. So, you know, that was really disturbing, especially to see later when there was an appeal filed. They had an expert testify. To something else. And I think if the jury had heard that the first time around, they would have been able to weigh the evidence and decide one way or another, but they really had no choice. There was nothing provided in his defense whatsoever. And that's the conviction right there. And so this was, you know, that part was really disturbing, but it felt great to see these two attorneys present their sides and hear that a jury was deadlocked because I think it would have been a tough decision in that deliberation room. I will say this: um, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a real courtroom experience. There were things that the defense attorney uh, that both sides had said that would have been picked at uh, by opposing counsel. Uh, you know, an example is the defense attorney said something like, "This is a man who's been ill his whole life. He's had seizures since the age of 13. Yeah, that w- there would have been an objection there, mainly because he had one seizure and that's the only evidence we have. You don't want to mislead the jury like that. And I think when the jury was hearing that, they kept that in mind too. Well, this is somebody who has seizures often. This is very plausible. So, you know, uh, uh, on the one hand, I felt it, um, it showed that had he had a, a level playing field, he would have had a fighting chance. On the other hand, you know, we'll never know because it wasn't a true courtroom experience.
2: It was interesting, though. um, You know, as you know, we were in this small, small town in Missouri and we got to use this historic (laughs) courthouse to do this. And we literally had production assistants who were going around the little town into bars and barbershops and saying, hey, do you want to be on a jury for a TV show? And people would pop in. One guy was in his overalls. And I think that it would have been easy to say, OK, this is a very conservative community. They're just going to agree with law enforcement. But people were open minded. And a lot of people changed their votes and it ended up being a, a deadlock jury. So it was kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, and that was a, a really tough deliberation too. You know, we we talked to them afterward and people were going every which way and they were taking it very serious. Um, and that's just great to see because these are, this is a jury makeup. You know, this is the makeup of a jury pool. And these are people off the street and you would hope that jurors do uh, you know, put this kind of time and deliberation into it, and that's why if they had the chance in in this case, I think that um, Ken would have had a better chance.
3: I think that's good that we we see that that type of uh, this mindset change. Uh, not only is it good for the public, it's it's good for law enforcement too because it helps us raise the standard of what we do. You know, there's just not okay. The police said he did it so we must have done it. You know, these people are, and this is small town America. These people sat back, listened at some of the, the both both sides of the argument and they came to a conclusion and it ended up being a luxurious. So I think that's great. And I think that's something that we, as as a group, us as Reasonable Doubt, I think we have a lot to do with that because we, we bring these things to light. All right, so... Let's let's move on, Chris, to your part
2: of the investigation when you went to see Ken in prison, because despite all the flaws in his uh, legal defense and all the flaws in the investigation, there was one problem that I think we all struggled with in this case. um, And that is that his story was a little bit far fetched. Um, I want to play a clip of uh, you talking to Ken and then get sort of your analysis of what you were trying to accomplish with him seemed like to me it seemed like you were trying to give him an out
3: let me just pose this scenario to you is it possible that kathy comes home confronts you about the affair with this woman that's very close to her she has a weapon in her hand you two get into a little bit of a struggle and you accidentally discharge the weapon and shoot her that is plausible If that's the way that it happens, and we can talk to your son, it would help him. Because honestly, every single day that you sit in prison, he sits here with you. I don't understand that. If there is something that you can tell me to help them, tell me that now. Tell me that now. He is going to love you regardless.
4: But you don't want me to lie to you. But I don't want you to lie to me. That's why I can't tell you that we got in an argument, and I, I'm not going to.
3: When I interviewed Ken, and his, his story was so far-fetched about the way that things happened, I, I wanted to offer him an out, because the, the main thing is to give some closure to his family. and and And... And the 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 solution or the answer that I gave him, I mean that really is a, a plausible action, you know, because it, I just don't believe that he he passed out just before his wife uh, 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 it, it shoots herself. I don't believe that. I didn't think that it was an accident. I mean, it, the, the, the 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 science, if we can believe in the science, the science does not support that. So offering him an out is always something that we as investigators try to do we try to minimize the the the, the convicts or the uh, defendants actions in, in, in the death and we try to get them to 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 give us an answer uh, and and of course you know Ken did says still maintains that the way that he said it happened is the way that it happened and it, it I just don't it, it didn't happen that way I, I just i just don't think it happened way. I know you go a lot when you're out there by,
2: like, intuition and feel. Was there anything that you were picking up on with him, any kind of a tell or something that was making you lean towards that you weren't buying the story, other than
3: the science? So I think that he's had such a long time to review and, and in his mind, uh, mm-hmm.
4: rewind.
5: Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
3: By that day, that uh, he really didn't have any, any real tales. Uh, I mean, he was, he's, he had, he's had enough time to convince himself that This is the way that it happened. So, you know, when he's had 20 years of of reviewing that, that, that fateful date. No, I I didn't. I didn't really I didn't gather any real tales from it.
1: We are very different as an investigator and a defense attorney Um, and not just because of, um, you know, the, the oaths that we take are different, but also in the way that we think. And Chris often, he, he interviews people, that's his job a lot, is to sit down and, and go with that gut instinct that he has. And that's why I respect his opinion a lot in these cases, because I just simply don't. I I, I can't form an opinion based on a, a feeling or um, the way they respond to something. I mean, it, it, obviously, the way somebody responds is going to make me dig a little deeper, ask more questions. Um and speculate. But I always go, I have to go based on the evidence. And Chris can attest to this. When it comes to the end of the week and we're sharing everything, I push back so much when he's saying things like, there's too many coincidences, or, you know, it just doesn't sit right with me. And I'm always like, I need more. I need more. Because for me, once again, yes, the story does not seem believable but that does not mean it's impossible. And if that was the standard that, you know, we all looked at, there would be a lot of innocent people in prison because sometimes some stories just are, Hey, that person had bad luck. Um, And that is a lot of the story of, of a lot of people who have been exonerated, right? The story just didn't seem plausible. Um, So, for me, you know, when, when I was watching the interview, I, I, I watched them later as you're interviewing Ken. Of course, there's things that I'm like, well, you know, that just that's the response you gave to that. I'm looking for more. Um, and, you know, maybe hairs kind of stand up on my arms like that's not right. But I still have to give this person the benefit of the doubt. And that's where I step in. And for me, it is all the science.
2: And I think that um, thanks for the compliment. And I do think that that's why, you know, when I was conceiving of this show, the idea of bringing people from two different disciplines to work together, um, who look at a case in a different way, I think is part of the appeal. So I do want to get to your deliberations, the two of you and how you talk. But before we do that, I just want to play a little bit of a clip from Cliff, because I think everybody really felt for Cliff, uh, who was Ken's son. And, you know, he was so sincere and so passionate. And I just, I want to play this and have you guys tell me, like, how much that weighs on you when you guys are really deciding whether or not it's a case you want to get behind.
4: I I have no choice but to continue to fight for my father. I cannot fathom the thought of him leaving there, you know, on his back and, and not walking out with me. So, I hope that you see what I'm showing you and you have the same opinion that I have, but nothing will deter me from getting my father out of there.
1: Cliff has an amazing heart. You know, we meet a lot of loved ones and they stay with us. And of course, we want to help people. We want to bring them peace. We want to help them sleep at night. We want to give them answers. Cliff... He's just one of those where I, I didn't want, I wanted to give him our all, all of us that week. I mean, I think that week we probably worked ourselves so tired because of him. I mean, if he can fight all these years for his father with such passion, spending all his money, putting up billboards, I mean, that's like something out of a movie. He did all that. We we worked tirelessly that week. I know it. And Chris, I know that that week I I gave you a lot of pushback. I I think up until the very last day, we went back and forth. Right.
3: And and I appreciate that. I I really enjoy talking to Cliff. You know, it it does it it does me good to see a, a son fighting for his father the way that he did. And. Honestly, after we left that table, I wanted to do as much as I can to help him out. You know, and I had hoped that we would we would uh we would have enough evidence to help bring uh uh a, a Ken home, but you know, it it uh it just didn't work out that way. And I have to be be you know true to my skill set. You know, I just don't I can't see uh Anything I didn't see anything in that case that really would just help us to bring him home as a free man, as a wrongly accused and a wrongly convicted person. But when you look at the the, the evidence in that case, and I, I know I'm going off into something else, but I, when you look at looked at the, when we looked at the evidence in that case, he, he really didn't get a fair shake at it.
1: Chris, did it touch you? I mean. As a female sitting there at the table, I was really moved by this dynamic and this relationship and bond of fathers and sons. So it was Cliff fighting for his dad, Ken. And then there was CJ there at Cliff's side, you know, who he wasn't even alive when all this happened, but he's just right there with his dad, believing wholeheartedly in his grandfather. I just thought that all those relationships were so beautiful. The dedication, the loyalty amongst the three of them. Um, I can't imagine as a father and a son what you were feeling.
3: You know, uh, it was hard. It, it was hard because on, on one point, you know, I would hope that if my father was in this position, that I would I could fight as long and as hard as as uh, as he has, and then as a as a as a father, you know, seeing CJ and and beside his dad, you know, that 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 does something because I'm a, I'm a father, you know, I have a father and we all are extremely close. So, you know, yeah, it it, it does something
1: to me. I'm uh-huh. glad we didn't ugly cry this one.
3: Yeah, yeah, I would cry would have been. Bang.
1: I came, I came close when <laughs> we've, we've CJ the, started crying. We've got
2: some others coming up this season. So, oh man, <laughs> it was. Um, were you guys satisfied at the end? I mean, it was. I thought it was. Uh, you guys came up with a pretty elegant solution. I mean, I think Chris made it clear that based on his training, the story was fairly implausible. But I think that you both made it pretty clear that based on all the injustices in the investigation, that there was maybe one
3: path to be able to help. Um, Did you both feel good about that? I I felt extremely good about it because, uh, you know, on on one hand, you know, yeah, it it did not sound plausible. But at the same time, I I, I didn't want to leave that state, that city, without doing something for this family. You know, and I think that that was that... Us trying to help him uh, in in the way that we did, I think that was the the best solution for us going forward.
1: I agree, and also because you know, I, I think a lot of people might say at, at the end when I say, "Well, you know, he's he's done his time for what he's done." Some people might disagree with that and say, "Well, you know, there's a there's a woman here who was killed, and there's a victim, and she's never coming back." and and gosh, my heart goes out, you know, to her family and her loved ones. Absolutely. But the reason that I said that is because this is an individual who the, the system failed him. I do believe that. The system did fail him at the trial phase. So that's why I say he's done more than his time.
2: All right, guys. Well, I have a little surprise for you. Uh, Cliff. Is joining us uh, on the uh, very first Reasonable Doubt podcast. Oh, Cliff.
1: <laughs>
4: Cliff, hello, Chris. wow, oh,
2: Hi. man, oh
1: so, hi, Cliff.
2: So, Cliff, we were just talking about how much uh, the devotion that you showed uh, to your dad and that C- uh, CJ did with uh, his grandfather. How much that moved us. Um, we shot this episode what six, seven months ago. So. Fill us in. What's been going on since then?
4: Well, um, the lawyers uh, that you found for us um, uh, reached out to us. I've been meeting with them. They're they're working on his case and getting clemency uh, for him. And uh, we've kind of just been in a holding pattern here. The 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 laws in uh, Missouri actually changed in in January of twenty twenty. Uh and uh that fits every criteria for clemency. Woo-hoo. So wow.
0: yeah awesome.
4: so we're we're uh, hopeful that the governor is going to uh going to step up and um uh, and give him clemency. So
1: That's great news. That is
3: awesome news, man. That's really Cliff, good. Yeah.
1: I hope that you really do understand how much Chris and I wanted to help you and, and your father, that we really did care about his case, regardless of the outcome, um, that we did have strong opinions about the initial phase of his case, and, and we were very happy to come and, and help
4: well thank you i I appreciate that and I appreciate all, all the help you know that you guys are trying to do for us
2: how did, How did your dad react when you told him uh where Chris and Fatima ended up with on the case
4: um he was uh, to be honest with you he was um kind of um um confused a little bit like I was. I wasn't sure if you guys were going to help us, or not, you know. <laughs> and the way the way it ended, I was like, okay, it won't lead to a new trial, but you know, he was uh, railroaded, and the justice system failed him. So, I mean, it it kind of threw me for a loop, and and him too, as as well. Um, so, yeah, we. Uh, it, yeah, I think you could kind of see that in my face when we were. When we were filming, I I was a little confused, to be honest.
3: Well, Cliff, Cliff, we can. I think Rob and Fatima, all of us, will say the same thing. We were confused a lot too, because it took us a, a, a very long time to come up with a, 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 a how can we help this person? Yeah. You know, we have our beliefs, but we still think we we needed to do something for your father. We wanted to do something for your father, and this is ab- absolutely this is the very first case that we've uh, that we've uh, we we came to this conclusion. Uh, so, yeah, it was confusing to us also.
1: I don't think we had ever seen such an egregious misjustice at the at the trial phase before. We've seen some pretty bad stuff, but this was. um this was extreme. And so I, it just wasn't going to sit right with us to say, well, we just, you know, there's no, nothing here that can help you and good luck to you. I mean, that lack of evidence coupled with your passionate fight for your father left us sitting there going, what can we do? Because we do feel in many ways the justice system failed him.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: We were able to get creative
4: It has been, and I, and I appreciate your support there just on a, on a personal level. Um, it's, you know, unless someone's been through what I and my family have been through and what you guys see people go through, they don't understand the emotions that, and I remember when Fatima asked me about, uh, urgency and I barely kept it together. I told myself I wasn't gonna cry, <laughs> you know, uh, when we started taping, I was like, okay, I'm gonna keep my composure. But when she asked me about that, all my emotions uh, uh, come out and uh, um, very much a human aspect to your show. And and I, I, uh, I did feel that, absolutely.
2: And do you, and do you guys, is everybody in the family still feeling very hopeful and, and staying optimistic?
4: Oh, absolutely. My dad was, was, is very appreciative and very thankful for the help that you guys are giving us and, and everything that, uh, bringing awareness to that things like this happen, you know? Um, and so yes, uh, very thankful for that, but I got to tell you, when you told me what you were going to do at the end, I was I was uh, very, very thankful and very re- relieved, yes.
1: We All were, right, too. Well. We would be heartbroken to have left that table and n- not be able to give you anything, Cliff. So,
4: Well, hey, you guys have given us a lot of hope, and, and I tell you, the, the lawyers you found for us, they're great. They are really, I can tell they care you know, uh, like you guys on a, on a personal level, they care, you know, and they, they want to help him and they're trying to do everything just right to make sure that, that they can get this done for him. And, um, uh, it's just, uh, um, it's been a, it's been a great experience. It, It really has. That's
2: great. Well, Cliff, thank you so thank much you. for checking in with us, and uh, and please keep in touch. And uh, we wanted to, we want to keep following your case and uh, and uh, help in any way if we can.
4: Well, I sure appreciate that, and I will absolutely keep you up to speed on everything that happens. So, thank you very much, Cliff. Thank Take you, Cliff. Show,
1: Take man. care. Tell CJ, no, CJ Hello. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, Fatima. Uh huh. How about those Chiefs?
4: Ah,
3: oh, you. <laughs>
1: you know what's funny That is <laughs> wait but honestly you know what's funny Cliff is as as the season was happening well especially around that time I was got I was remembering sitting up in that room and I was already being tortured by sitting in that room with all the royal stuff everywhere as a dedicated A's fan <laughs> and you know because the royals have taken so much from us before and now this so yeah congratulations Kansas City <laughs>
4: I just had to throw that in. Oh, man. I'm
1: sure that's all over the house now in that memorabilia room.
4: (laughs) Oh, it is. It is.
1: You guys get that in barbecue. We'll give you that.
4: (laughs) That's right. That's right. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Thanks.
2: Thanks.
1: Thank you.
4: Thank you, Chris. Uh, Talk to you later. All
2: right. Thank you, Cliff. All right, well, that wraps up the very first edition of the Reasonable Doubt podcast. This was uh, the Ken Middleton case. Please check out the episode uh, on ID, on demand, wherever you watch your television. And please subscribe to this podcast, the Reasonable Doubt podcast. We're going to do this all season long for every one of the cases uh, that we reinvestigated. So for Rob Rosen. I'm the, and I'm
3: the take of Chris Anderson. Thank you all for tuning in. Fatima Silva
1: out.